Everything is the same, even if it's different. Exactly. Coming up, it's philosophy talk. We think everything is separate, limited. I'm over here, you're over there, which is true. But it's not the whole truth, because we're all connected. In Sanskrit, the word Advaita refers to the belief that everything is one. But if everything is one, then who are you? And who am I? Well, if we actually exist and we're not just an illusion, then we're one and the same. So I'm just talking to myself? I am them. They are me. We are all You're singing. Real. I have the mouth. One life with each other, sisters, brothers. What is real only as a characteristic, as a specification of Brahman? Our guest is Elisa Fresky from the University of Toronto. It is existent consciousness and bliss. Non-duality and the oneness of being. Coming up on Philosophy Talk. What does it mean to say everything is one? Doesn't it seem like there are many things? Is separateness just an illusion? Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Accept your intelligence. I'm Josh Landy. And I'm Ray Briggs. We're coming to you from our respective living rooms via the studios of KALW San Francisco. Continuing conversations that begin at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus, where Ray teaches philosophy and I direct the Philosophy and Literature Initiative. Today, we're thinking about non-duality and the oneness of being. Lots of philosophers believe in the oneness of being in traditions from all around the world. But today, we're going to focus mostly on Indian philosophy. Yeah, it seems like even within Hinduism, there are a lot of different schools of thought. And they all understand oneness in what seem like slightly different ways. So I find it kind of confusing. Well, the school I'm most familiar with, and I'm guessing the one our listeners might be most familiar with, is called Advaita Vedanta. And I think that view is at least relatively straightforward. Okay, well, I know that Advaita means not to in Sanskrit, so that much is pretty clear. But the rest does not seem straightforward at all to me. Well, that's a good start, actually. I mean, look, think about Descartes. He was a big dualist, right? He thought that the physical and spiritual worlds were fundamentally different. Oh, yeah, yeah. For Descartes, there were two kinds of substance. There was consciousness and there was matter. And humans have a conscious mind and a material body. But how does any of that help me understand Advaita? Well, as you said, Advaita means not to. So Advaita is a denial of dualism. There aren't two kinds of substance, like Descartes thought, matter, and consciousness. Instead, everything is pure consciousness. Okay, so physical objects aren't real. They're, they're just projections of our consciousness, too? Bingo. Okay, so that's just what European philosophers would call idealism. But wait, that, that doesn't mean that everything is one. I mean, that's the part of Advaita philosophy I really don't get. Yeah, that, you, you got it, right? It's, it's not just that there's one kind of thing. It's that there's only one thing. It might look like there are many things, but ultimately that's just an illusion. Okay, so I'm sitting here on a chair looking at you on my computer screen. But if I understand you correctly, you're saying that you, me, the chair, and the computer are actually all just one thing? Well, sort of. If any of those things actually existed, then they would all be one thing, but they're not real, so... Ah, what? You see why I'm confused by Advaita. So, okay, so you and I are not real, or we are real, but we're not two different things? Yes! Yes, which one? Look, we're either real or we're not. And if we're not real, then who am I arguing with? Well, in Hindu philosophy, some branches at least, you and I are both souls, or Atman. 
And Brahman is the ultimate reality behind all the different objects we see. In Advaita philosophy, these two things, Atman and Brahman, they're not really two, they're really one. Okay, I think I'm starting to get it now. So we don't exist as separate souls or like distinct egos. So you and I are, are not names for anything real? Exactly. I, I mean, there's this perception we have that we're, we're, we're separate from one another and all, also separate from everything else in the world, but that's just an illusion. Ultimately, the end of the day, we are all one thing, or at least that's what my very rudimentary understanding of Advaita tells me. Okay, I can see why that might be an appealing view from one perspective. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you accept that we're all really part of this ultimate, all-pervading unity, well, you're going to be more compassionate. You're going to be less selfish. Yeah, or you could just be really bored. Like, isn't variety the spice of life? Plus, what would make anyone believe that in the first place? I mean, doesn't the fact that you and I disagree show that we're not the same? If we were just a single thing, wouldn't we just have the same beliefs? Real or not, Ray, you sure know how to ask the tough questions. And I bet our guest, Elisa Fresky from the University of Toronto, will definitely be able to answer them. She knows a heck of a lot more about all this stuff than I do. Ooh, nice dodge there. <laughs> Elisa is actually an expert on a different Hindu school of non-dual philosophy called Vashisht Advaita. But she also knows a lot about Advaita. So I'm really looking forward to learning more from her. Me too. But first, we sent our roving philosophical reporter, Holly J. McBeed, on a mission to find out what some practitioners of non-duality have to say. She files this report. The idea of oneness can seem so complicated, it's easy to joke about. But that doesn't always go over so well. Like in this segment of Australia's version of the Today Show, where the anchor tries to crack a joke with the Dalai Lama. So the Dalai Lama walks into a pizza shop Pizza shop. Pizza? Pizza shop, yes. Yeah, pizza, pizza shop. And says, can you make me one with everything? Mm. What's that? What's that? Oh, yes. Do you know what I mean? Knowing the definition of non-duality is a lot different than explaining it or understanding it. Honestly, this is really about not knowing. Not, it's not about knowing. John Burney is a modern spiritual teacher and former Zen monk. When he was 16 years old, he had a spiritual awakening. The year was 1969. I was a teenager. I was, you know, screwed up as any other 16-year-old, if not more. And I had a lot of growing and evolving to do before I had a perspective of what had happened to me and what was happening to me. He was a concert violinist and would practice two to four hours a day. He remembers looking down at his hands. And going, how is it doing that? Yes, I've learned, but there was a deeper questioning of how does life work? Decades later, Bernie now supports people all over the world who are, as he puts it, looking to learn how to facilitate the natural emergence of consciousness. When we learn how to tune in deeply without a bunch of preconceived ideas, agendas, expectations, and so forth, Naturally, what happens is the kind of balancing of the nervous system, a kind of healing. Over the last few decades, researchers have scanned the brains of Buddhist monks in meditation studies, hoping to learn more. Bernie likes new experiences, so he signed up to have his brain scanned at UC San Diego years ago. 
He says the scanner was quite a contraption. Like some draconian bank fault. And I'd wish they'd had invited me the day before just to get used to this incredibly uncomfortable position. I said, you know, I'm not sure I can really relax in this thing. And more young people seem to be reaching out to him to learn about oneness. The internet and social media make it easy to find a practitioner focused on this work. We used to say, oh, don't talk to yourself, you're crazy. And now we're like, no, please talk to yourself. Talk to yourself a whole bunch, dialogue. Dr. Josie Valderrama is a clinical psychologist in San Francisco. She works with people of color, LGBTQ plus people, activists, and artists, and helps them reach states that are less polarized. People close their eyes, and she uses sounds and movement to guide them. So maybe we'll be doing some drumming or um, some playing of the different sound bowls, you know, like the crystal bowls and the Tibetan bowls. She says non-duality is especially meaningful at a time when the world can feel split into two sides. The more that we embody non-duality, the more I think that we can sort of transcend this divide-and-conquer programming that's out there, um, and that we can really connect and empower from sort of the ground up. If you're still confused about oneness, now is a good time to turn to Pax, a novel about a friendship between a boy, Peter, and his fox, Pax. In the book, Peter goes on a journey to rescue his friend. Peter describes a feeling of merging with Pax the fox. A character named Vola tells Peter he's experienced the Buddhist concept of two, but not two. Vola picks up a wooden fox and says, This is not just a piece of wood. This is also the clouds that brought the rain that watered the tree, and the birds that nested in it, and the squirrels that fed on its nuts. It is also the food that my grandparents fed me that made me strong enough to cut the tree. And it's the steel and the axe I used. And it's how you know your fox, which allowed you to carve him yesterday. And Vola says, it's the story you will tell your children when you give this to them. All these things are separate, but also one. When you put it that way, it doesn't seem so hard to comprehend. And while the idea may not be about knowing, a basic understanding is not a bad place to begin. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Holly J. McDeed. Want to hear more? You can find the complete episode on iTunes Music. Or for unlimited listening, become a subscriber at philosophytalk.org.